You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. So this morning we light the fourth candle of Advent. So we have the candle from the last few weeks of hope and the candle of peace and the candle of joy that I understand has been the hard one to light and still is. And then today, the candle of love. So today we talk about Christ's love. Uh, The passage I've chose to take a look at this morning, uh, kind of the focus on this morning, is 1 John 4, 7 through 12. It's not really the most traditional Christmas passage, but I think as we read through it, you'll see that it's pretty appropriate on this week when we talk about Christ's love. So I'm going to read this passage, and I want your help as I read it. As I read it, every time you hear a version of the word love, so love, loves, loved, I just want you to count out. Just count out loud. Number one, number two, number three. Uh, Just count through them. So I'm going to read it and count along with me. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Thirteen times in six verses, you you get a feeling that he wants to get that across to us, right? God loves us. Um, That loving one another is vitally important. And it's not strange to think of love around Christmas. We all do. It's a pretty common theme we think of connected to Christmas is love and Christ's love for us. And the incarnation is just such an incredible display of God's love. Uh, So we we get that, I think, most Christmases. Uh, But when you think of the stories that are often told around Christmas, when you think, for instance, about Christmas movies and stories that you see, they often have love as a central theme. But when they talk about love, many times, it's a love where where in those stories, the dramatic turning point comes when someone's value or someone's worthiness of love is suddenly revealed. Someone's value and worthiness of love that had been being missed before, now suddenly that turning point is when the aha moment, when everybody sees it, when everybody gets it, right? Uh, Whether it's Rudolph with his nose so bright, or it's that old man who lived next door to Kevin in Home Alone, or maybe it's Scrooge when he finally sees Tiny Tim and sees that joy and, and that courage in Tiny Tim and generosity in him and it opens up something in his heart where he's able to love. 
Even think of George Bailey when it comes to the value of his own life and it's a wonderful life, right? At some point he thinks because of mistakes he made that he's not worthy of love, that he's not really even worthy of life. And it's not until the angel Clarence comes along and reveals to him that really what he reveals to him is, you know, the good you've done in your world and in relationships outweighs the mistakes you've made. So you are worthy of love and you are worthy of life. In many ways, the stories that we see around Christmas are stories about love, but they're stories about how someone's worthy of love because they are lovable. What's been revealed is honestly, you may have missed it, but if you look closely, they really do have value. They really are lovable people and and we should love them. It's a love for the lovable. Even Even the Grinch story, right? The story of Grinch. His heart grows three times larger, why? Because he suddenly realizes the people of Whoville were not the shallow materialistic people that he assumed they were. He suddenly realized there's something better in them, something more lovable in them. And his heart grows bigger, it fills with love. The message is often look close, look really close at others and you will find in them something that's of value, something lovable something worthy of being loved. And there is nothing wrong with loving the lovable. There's nothing wrong with looking at people with eyes to see what in them has value and acknowledging and affirming that value. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Christmas story is about something much bigger than that, right? It's not just about a love for the lovable. It's about a love that goes beyond that. First John 4, John is making the case here that he's made in the previous two chapters. Uh, In chapter two, he says that we're to love one another uh, because when we do so, we show that we live in the light. So as believers, we should love one another because when we do so, it reveals to the world around us we live in the light. Chapter three, if we love one another, we prove that we have passed from death to life. He's saying that, that as Christians, when we love one another, it shows that something dramatically different is going on in our life. It's saying that that kind of love, whatever love we're expressing towards one another now that Christ is in us, is different than the love we could have expressed before. This is not the same. Something new we are able to do now we could never do before. This kind of love is different. And then in chapter four, John makes his strongest argument for why we should love one another. Because he says, love comes from God. Um, If we truly love, It is because we know God, John is saying. That love that's coming out of us towards one another, this different kind of love that is only possible because Christ is in us. That love is possible because God literally is love. Not God does loving things, not God is loving sometimes. God literally, his very essence is love, John tells us. God didn't begin to love when he created us. God didn't begin to love when he sent Jesus Uh, to redeem us. God has always loved. God still loves. God always will love because God literally is love. And because God always loves and is love, then God's love always exists in union with all the other aspects of his character. They're always together because God is love, literally. Uh, Matter of fact, one of those aspects of his love that is always true, they're always bound together, is his holiness and his love. His love is always a holy love. It's a love beyond anything that we could experience in this world apart from him. 
I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. He says this, whatever else God's love is, it is holy. His love is therefore characterized by the qualities that define holiness, transcendence and purity. First, God's love is transcendent. It is set apart and different from everything we experience in creation. Second, God's love is pure. His love is absolutely flawless, having no selfishness, wickedness, or sin mixed in with it. God's love is not ordinary or profane. It is a majestic, sacred love that goes far beyond anything creatures can manifest. No shadow of evil covers the brightness of the pure glory of the love of God. That is God's love beyond anything we experience in this world apart from him. We think we understand love. We really don't. Because true love is only possible through God. And nowhere has that love been put on more breathtaking display than when God sent his one and only son, the one he has eternally loved with this love that is beyond imagination, when he sent him to take on flesh, to live in this world as one of us, and to die on that cross. Breathtaking display of love. And John goes on to tell us a couple of things about this love in 1 John 4, verse 10. He says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So this wasn't a love that came out of obligation, right? It wasn't a deserved love. It wasn't that we loved God and then God said, well, now you've done the right thing and now I'm supposed to love you back. This wasn't out of any obligation. It wasn't deserved. It wasn't a reasonable response to our actions. It was something bigger than that. It went beyond fairness. It went beyond what was deserved. And then he says, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what this love was, that he sent his son out of this love as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That tells us a couple of things. One, that he loved us as sinners. He loved rebels. He loved evildoers. He loved those who were wallowing in sin and were rejecting him. He sent his son to us while we were still sinners. And he did it to atone for our sins, to pay the price and the penalty that our sins deserved. He did it. Um, he sent his own son to appease his own wrath against our sin. His son sent in our place to die on that cross. Uh, one commentator said this, an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. I love that phrase. An appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. God loved the unlovable. He loved us. He loved us in a way that, again, is just so beyond imagination. His love didn't, his heart didn't grow big enough to love. God has always loved. His heart has always been big enough to love even the unlovable, even us. In the ancient world, it was thought to be a, an appropriate thing to only love those who were deserving of love. When you love, offered love to those who hadn't earned it, that weren't deserving, that was often considered a weak thing to do. That was considered in some ways an immoral thing to do. You were encouraging the bad in them. You were loving those who hadn't earned love. That's uh, why in some ways the gospel was so hard to understand, right? Because, because of the grace, it just makes no sense. Why in the world would you love somebody who hadn't earned it, who hadn't done the wrong, right thing? Why would you not love the lovable? You're loving the unlovable. 
That just doesn't make sense according to their value system, right? I'd like to think that we have moved beyond that. I'd like to think that we have sat under the teaching of the gospel for so long, we have heard about grace so many times that we have moved beyond that way of thinking. That we, we should only be loved when we deserve it. But when I look in myself, what I find is I still hold on to that view a lot. When I really think about what I believe, it is really hard for me to grab onto and hold on to the fact that God loves me even when I'm not doing the right thing. That God loves me even when I'm choosing to not do the wrong thing. It is really hard for me to believe that God has that kind of love for me. I always find within myself this desire to somehow connect my behavior to whether or not God actually is loving me, right? That somehow it has to be deserved. I have to be lovable enough to be worthy of God choosing to love me. And I find in myself and I find in a lot of people I talk to that one of our biggest obstacles in our relationship with Christ is this difficulty that we have believing and grabbing hold of God's love for us. If we could just get that, I think it would change everything. And I've thought about this week, why? Why is it such a hard thing for us to hold on to? And I think it's because we grew up in a world where love always does kind of come up short, right? We grew up in a world where love normally is temporary. We grew up in a world where where love is love, the best love that can be offered by sinful people and fallen and broken people. Love does come up short in so many uh, ways that we've experienced love. As I've thought about it, love comes up short often because people in my life, people like me, are sometimes distracted by their own needs and their own struggles. Love sometimes comes up short because I have failed in my relationship towards others to be somebody who's worthy of their acceptance and their love. Love sometimes comes up short because, to be honest, I'm too big a burden because my need for love and attention just is more than they can offer, more than they can give. Sometimes love comes up short uh, because relationships come to an end, right? Because relationships are often temporary. We move, situations change, people even die. Uh, Sometimes for those reasons, love comes up short. Sometimes love comes up short because I'm too afraid to risk reaching out and asking for it and grabbing hold of it because I somehow want to believe I can survive without it, that it's a little safer if I just kind of live only on my own resources, right? Love often comes up short because we're sinful people and the love that I offer isn't enough and the love that you can offer me isn't enough. We just don't have it within us to offer what we truly need. But I tell you, even that imperfect love and that temporary love, it stirs something in you, doesn't it? Doesn't it stir a hunger in you for more? I mean, I talk about it coming up short, but man, when you experience love from somebody, it is so, so good. It touches something deep in us. We want more of it. It leaves a mark on us because we're made for it. This idea that we could live without it is just truly a lie. We could not survive without it, and something in us tells us that. Which is why the Apostle Paul prays this very familiar prayer in Ephesians 3. You know these words. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, says you, as people who are followers of Christ, who have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
You are literally established and rooted in love. This is your reality. This is what's true of you. You don't have to make this true. This is true. But then he says, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is true of you, but Paul understands we don't get it. He prays we would have power. We can't get it on our own. It surpasses knowledge. You can't just by thinking about it, figure it out, right? Whatever you think you understand about God's love, it comes up short. It is bigger because it's beyond our ability to just understand on our own. And so Paul prays, I pray you'd have the power to grasp it, to truly grab hold of it, how big it is, how wide it is, how long it is, how high it is, and how deep it is, that you would truly grab hold of it. Because this love is literally the soil out of which everything in the Christian life grows. It starts there, grabbing hold of the love of God and understanding it in our own lives. That word grasp um, is interpreted elsewhere in the Bible with words like taken hold of, taken, seized, or even the word surprise. That's more than a rational understanding of something, right? It's not just I get it in my head. I get that God loves me in my head. I, I could tell those words to you, and I believe those words I'm saying. But Paul's praying we have something more, that it would fully grab hold of us, that we would fully grab hold of it, that life-changing way where it's not just something we can say the words. We feel it. We know it. We feel it deep in our soul. Think about when you're surprised. Again, that word grasp is sometimes interpreted surprise. When something surprises you, it doesn't just mentally affect you. You feel it in your body, right? It grabs hold of you emotionally and mentally and physically. In every way, it somehow in that moment grabs hold of you. Paul's praying we would fully and completely embrace this love of God, that God would give us the power to do that because that's the thing that truly will change us. Commentators warn us that these uh, dimensions of love we shouldn't probably take too literally, that it's long and wide and high and deep, that that's just Paul kind of using poetic hyperbole to talk about how huge the love of God is. But I love this quote by John Stott based on that passage. He says, the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt him to heaven. That's how big this love is. And again, no matter what you think you understand about it, it's bigger and it's more. There is always more to understand and more to grab hold of. It is huge. Now, I've got a couple long quotes today. I'm going to give you one more long one to ask you to bear with me. I've uh, not long ago read a book by Dane Ortland called Deeper, and I love that book. It was, just a, it was just a good book for me, thinking about this topic. Uh, but in it, he talks about for those who are, for whom it's hard to grasp that God could really love me, someone who's messy, someone who has sin in my life that I'm always struggling with, someone who fails again and again. How could God truly love somebody like me? And to those who think they're just too messy and too screwed up for God to deeply love, he writes this. The answer to that kind of thinking is that your awareness of your unloveliness is precisely why you qualify to experience Ephesians 3 in the endless love of Christ. If you saw yourself as lovely, that would limit how loved you could feel. 
But love by its very nature is not dependent upon the loveliness of the beloved. If you felt yourself to be lovely, you could feel love to a degree, but you cannot be astonished by how loved you are. It's precisely our messiness that makes Christ's love so surprising, so startling, so arresting, and thereby so transforming. This is not just love of the lovable. It is something so much bigger than that. So my encouragement to all of us, my encouragement to myself and to all of you, is I think we need to, we need to invest some time in grabbing hold of, taking hold of this love much more often than we do. I'd suggest to you even this week um, that you sit down sometime, that you get away by yourself sometime and you sit down and you just spend some time thinking about some of those examples where you've had a taste of love, where someone has loved you in a way that has felt like this kind of love, like it was a taste of it, right? It was handed on by some imperfect person, so it's not perfect, but it felt like that love was a different love. Think of that person in your life or those people in your life who have loved you well. Think about their faces. Think about some of those moments where you've experienced love in that moment that was just a different kind of love. And it really did touch you in a different way. Sit and reflect on those for a little while. Savor them. Let them sit with you. Then take those tastes, kind of like a good Sam's Club sample, right? You taste that little sample, they don't give those to you to fill you up, right? They give those to you to make you go look for more, to make you go find more. Well, take that sample, that good sample, and let it lead you to more. So then, reflect on God's love for you. I encourage you to sit, think about God's love. Pray that God would give you the power to grasp his love for you. Read some passages that help you think about God's love. Sit in it. Reflect upon it, savor it for a while. Let it, let it affect you beyond just your thinking. Feel it, hold on to it, grab hold of it. I'd encourage you one passage to take a look at is Luke 15, 11 through 32, that very familiar story of the prodigal son. I'd encourage you to take that story and enter into it. Make yourself that prodigal in your, in your mind. So I would sit and think about, and this is the hard part, I would sit and think about your own sin, your own unworthiness of love. I would think about some of those ugly parts of yourself, some of those parts that no one else knows about, some of those parts that stir the deepest shame in you. I would sit and think about those for a moment. Wouldn't stay in them long, but I would sit and think about those for a moment. Then from that place of unworthiness, I'd encourage you to look up and imagine seeing God in the distance coming towards you, running towards you. Imagine seeing in the face of God his delight when he sees you. Literally delight at the sight of you. Imagine God running up to you as he did to the prodigal and wrapping his arms around you, embracing you with that deep kind of embrace that you feel in your soul, holding on to you, hugging you, telling you that he loves you, kissing you on the face. And then imagine God lavishing on you gifts, good gifts, the kind of things that you love. And then imagine God taking you by the hand and leading you off to a table where he's going to feed you a great feast in the company of good friends and celebrate you. 
Imagine looking up again at the face of God and seeing real delight. Still the remnants and scars of your sin here. And yet God delighting in you, loving you. That is the love of our God. And I think we need to sit in it often because it is so hard for us to grab hold of. We need to pray for God's power that we can truly grab hold of it. And then in 1 John, John goes on and writes, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We can only do this if we grab hold of his love for us. It starts there. If I try to love others and I don't start there, I just kind of pass on a shallow imitation, not the real thing. I need the real thing. 1 John 4.12 says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love fulfills its purpose. It's made complete. It's made perfect. It does what it's meant to be. It is meant to fill us, be passed on to us, and then not stay there. Always then be passed on to others. I can't pass on what I haven't received, right? To receive it, hold on to it, grab hold of it, and pass it on. It's what it's meant to do. I say often that I think one of Satan's central strategies in this world is to divide and conquer, is to break down marriages and families and communities and churches, to divide, because we become so much more vulnerable when we're on our own. You see it throughout Scripture. You see it in the beginning of Scripture. He divides Adam and Eve rather than turn to one another for help as they face the biggest decision in their life. They handle it by themselves. Satan works hard to get them apart so they make decisions by themselves because they're so much more vulnerable there. Jealousy divides Cain and Abel and leads to murder. Scripture goes on again and again. You see that story. Jealousy divides David and Saul. And even later in David's life, you'll see in a time where he's kind of isolated when he's alone. He commits his worst sins. Jealousy divides Joseph and his brothers. Envy and greed divides Esau and Isaac. And those stories go on and on again. Satan loves nothing more than to to divide us, to separate us, to break down relationship and make us more vulnerable to the evil work he wants to do. Because he knows where true love exists, God is present and at work. That is how God works as we come together and love one another. I think Satan will use shame and jealousy and busyness and distraction and greed, insignificant differences, anything to divide us from others. And to be honest, the love that we can produce from within ourselves is never going to be powerful enough to fight that. If we are going to stay bound together, if we're going to stay bound together in a way we support and encourage each other who fight against those attacks from Satan, It's going to take this kind of love that is beyond us, the kind of love that starts in God, that we grab onto, and then we pass on to one another. It is our greatest weapon by far. There's a Victorian-era poet named Christina Rossetti. Uh, She wrote a poem that later became a Christmas carol. It's called Love Came Down at Christmas. Many of you probably know it. Here are the lyrics of that song, that Christmas carol or poem. She said, love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine, this extravagant divine love, it came down at Christmas. Love was born at Christmas, it was born in Jesus. Starring angels gave the sign, saying the wise men and the shepherds, they were pointed to that love, to that divine and holy love. 
by the star and by the angels. It goes on and says, worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine, worship we our Jesus, but wherewith our sacred sign? So she asked the question, where is our sign that points us to love divine? And then she answers her question. Love shall be our token. Love shall be yours and love be mine. Love to God and to all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. Love to God and all men. That's our sign that points us back to love divine. It is when we love with this love that comes from God. When we love God. When we offer it back to our God. When we love one another with that love. That's what points the world around us back to the source. Points back to truly the love divine. There is no better way to point back to him than that. It is the only sample that really has the power. We, we pass it on imperfectly, right? Because we are sinful beings passing it on. But when it's the true love, that is a powerful thing that absolutely stirs in others a hunger to run back to the source. Uh, if we try and do it just on our own power, the best we can do is a shallow imitation. I'm quote heavy today, so I'm going to give you one more. This is by a British pastor, Hugh Palmer. He says, it is folly to believe we can discard the template of love and keep making accurate copies. It's a good line, isn't it? You just can't make it up by yourself. You got to go back to the source. And I don't think it's like I just said, we sit and we have those times when we really hold on to it and we grab hold of it. I think we have to do that again and again and again because as soon as I grab hold of it, I start slipping back away, don't I? We have to just keep running back and saying, God, your remarkable love, your love that goes beyond the love for the lovable, this love that is generously giving, this love that is the love for the unlovable, this love that pursues and is self-sacrificing, this holy love, this life-giving and divine love, this is the love that points others to God. This is the love that transforms my life. Got to come back to it all the time. Uh, this Christmas, as you celebrate Christmas, I'd encourage you to reflect on God's love, to grab hold, to let yourself be taken by it, uh, and then go live it out. Go live it out with your family. Go live it out with your friends. Go live it out with your neighbors. Go live it out. There is no better way to celebrate Christmas and to point back to love divine than hold on to it yourself and let it flow from you out to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that uh, it's really not up to us to fully understand. It's not up to us to be good enough to, to earn it. Father, it's not up to us uh, to be people who um, somehow love perfectly because we know we can't. Father, I'm so thankful that the love we need and the love that the world around us need comes from you and you so freely offer it to us. I am so thankful that we worship a God who truly can love the unlovable. Because Father, we know in our sin we have been. We are so thankful for your grace and your mercy, for your goodness towards us. I pray for everybody here. I pray, Father, that you would really give us power to understand the love that we are already established in and rooted in because of Christ. That we really would grab hold of that which is truly ours because of you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. 
If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.